0: I am Vengeance. I am the Knight. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast.
1: Podcast. 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 Whoa! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though.
0: What What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that penny bed and What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah!
2: (laughs) I am a podcast. Whoa Whoa. Hey!
1: (laughs) Interviews (laughs) with friends (laughs) and people.
0: people Show.
1: Podcast. 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 hello and welcome to batman the animated podcast i'm your host justin michael and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon batman the animated series today's sponsor deadbeat dads come on give him a shot why don't you let him creep into your daughter's room wearing an invisibility suit what's the worst that could happen deadbeat dads making dads deadbeat since 1990 deadbeat today we'll be talking about see no evil one of the creepier more personal stories in batman the animated series early run and i'll be talking to marty pasco the writer of the episode then i'll talk to andrew grissom a buddy of mine who really 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 likes this episode today's episode see no evil Somewhere in the middle-class suburb of Gotham, little Kimberly Ventrix is regularly visited by her imaginary playmate, Mojo. However, the mysterious unseen Mojo seems awfully tangible and vocal for an imaginary friend. At about the same time, a fortune in valuables disappears as if, you guessed it, by magic. Batman investigates and finds himself battling an invisible man. Written by Marty Pasco, directed by Dan Reba. Music by Shirley Walker with animation services by Dong Yang. Starring Kevin Conroy as Batman and Bruce Wayne, Dick Erdman as Elliot, Danny Goldman as Sam Gittle, Ken Howard as Hartness, Mad Men's Elizabeth Moss as the young girl Kimmy, Chuck Olson as a security guard, Brock Peters as Lucius Fox, and Gene Smart as Helen. Alright, let's get into our first interview. Today's guest, Marty Pascoe. This is a continuation of last episode's interview with Marty, who is a story editor and writer on Batman the Animated Series. So let's just jump right in, shall we? Uh, So today we're talking (laughs) see no evil. (laughs) <laughs> Which I just rewatched. Uh, you know, I had not seen it in a while. It, it's really great We mentioned last time it was a character that you kind of modified from mm-hmm. a DC villain mm-hmm. uh, Mirror man, but uh, you turned into more of a grounded character for this version of Gotham So okay. what, what went into that story? What went into writing? This is this you have a soul written by credit, on. right? Uh,
0: I started out with a much more conventional superhero story. In the original version, it was this Mirror Man character. And as I said last time, Bruce made it clear that animating mirror images was a, a little bit more challenging, uh, possibly in the execution overseas than they wanted to do it. So we, we took that element out. And once we made the decision that he was not going to be, you know, any over the top supervillain, but rather someone more reality-based, we started playing around with ideas about why would this invisible man... I mean, or, or, what was it beyond just using it for crimes that this invisible man character uh, would do that would be unusual? And this is a rare example of Alan actually pushing me further into a dark zone mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have thought of myself. And, you know, we worked out Ventris's relationship with his ex-wife and the whole idea. And the idea uh, for the little, the, the little girl who is visited by her father invisibly, and he he won't tell her who he really is. He just wants to be with her. And he's her imaginary playmate. That came from... A story Alan told me about his own daughter having an invisible playmate. And so we just put everything together. And I remember just sitting there going, are you sure we can do this? It's
1: very dark and scary. The first first scene itself is is very creepy. It's got an unsettling kind of horror vibe to it. Thank you.
0: That's exactly what we were going for. (laughs) We never expected to be able to do as much as we did. Uh, we we thought the network would stop us. We thought standards and practices would stop us. Nobody did. Yes, yeah, it's a and child in danger. Tom Rugan, one of the executive producers who had small children, was really disturbed by it. And it came back to me later that he was so upset by it that he he tried to kill the show. <laughs> and basically everybody else said, you know, his boss said, uh, the network's approving this one, so we're going to do it. You know, I thought we lucked out on that show with two terrific actors on the voices: Michael Gross mm-hmm. and Jean Smart. Um, she, she was from Designing Women, and of course, Michael Gross is probably more familiar to younger people now from the Tremors movie series. But he was the uh, the, the parent, Michael. Michael Fox's father on uh, Family Ties. Family was it? Ties,
1: yeah. yeah, and he ended up, I think, playing Terry McGinnis's dad in Batman Beyond. Really? Yeah. I mean, he's only in an episode. He well, I was gets in New York, back
0: at DC Comics at that point. I didn't know anything about Batman Beyond. I didn't know that. Hmm. Right. He was. He was. He was terrific. When you sit there, and all of the line readings are exactly what you'd hope for. And that again, there was a lot of oblique stuff that I, I thought they would have come back and said you know no 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 that's not going to be clear
1: what kind of stuff were you thinking they were going to force you to kind of
0: a well, little clarify. just little dialogue stuff like you know when she, you, there's this exchange between the two of them where she says something like I don't ever want to see you again I wi- oh I wish I, I never have to see you again and he just as she walks off he just mutters under his breath well you know what they say be careful what you wish for Now, for an adult, that's a perfectly understandable line. Right. But it's an example of the kind of stuff that, you know, for the years that I was in animation previously, inevitably you'd get the note, the kids won't know what that means. And that was one of the most fun things from a writer's perspective about working on on the series was Batman, was I never once heard, the kids aren't going to understand that. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was was a joke. And it's mostly, you know, dialogue stuff. There really wasn't anything in the visuals that I thought was inherently you know, problematical unless, you know, having a little girl talking to this invisible
1: man is, is considered creepy. They well, got big. that floating disembodied head. <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. I had forgotten that. When, oh, when it looks so cool. With the, with the suit. When he he's, reveals
1: himself to her and it's just her dad's head just floating well, and talking to her.
0: That's that's a funny thing. Uh, the, that the, the whole ending of that show, playing with the visual effects... Having, we have a car? He's called? in a
1: car. And so, like, the, the way that the.
0: It's on an elevated train, right? Yeah,
1: so he's like driving a car towards a train, I think. Right, right. Uh, but the car Because all visible, this. The hanging on. Exactly.
0: And he, at first, it looks, it looks like, like he's that. flying. Right. And that whole sequence, Bruce Bruce didn't like it. He just. We, we couldn't figure out what his problem was, but the director, Dan Reba, Hell of a talented guy.
1: Oh, he's incredible.
0: Um, have you Have you talked to Dan? Yeah,
1: he's been on the show. He's wonderful. Isn't he,
0: he a nice guy? So great. One of my favorite people in animation. I've I worked with Dan at several other studios before Warner Brothers. He's terrific. And I think Dan talked him into it. He said, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can execute it. And it looks see, great. See, Bruce, Bruce was often, I think, misunderstood. He would object to things and you wouldn't hear it from him directly, not by design uh-huh. or choice. It just would work out that way. And, you know, you get the note or you get the thought. You know, you, you have to not take it personally because what he was thinking in terms of was not, no, there's nothing wrong with the writing or the ideas. It's that, you know, part of my job is to tell you when I don't think we're going to execute it in a way you're going to like the way it looks. Mm-hmm. And once I got over my, you know, writerly ego about, just to go back to how I got hired onto this show, before Alan... Even showed up in the office. He was doing from home. Uh, he was breaking stories with some writers, trying to find writers. And I had been recommended to him. He wasn't in a position yet to hire people. And we we broke a, a Mad Hatter story. Uh, I pitched him something. He liked it, but he had a lot of changes, a lot of notes. Par for the course. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But it was the Jervis Tetch. Mad Hatter more from the, the comics, where but hat-themed crimes, mm-hmm. as opposed to using hats for mind manipulation, which is where the character has developed. And so I, I did, did all the changes. Alan liked them. And then two days later, I have another meeting with him in his office at Hanna-Barbera. He's, just, he's packing up to go over to Warner Brothers. And he says to me, we're not going to do this. And I thought, okay, there goes that gig, right? Bruce doesn't like the conception of the Mad Hatter, he wants to go in a different direction. And so I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to stand up and shake his hand and say thanks. And he said, but I wanna hire you. And I said, what, (laughs) you know? And for the other reasons, but also, but what he said to me was, you executed the notes. In other words, I was able to completely liberate myself from the idea I had brought in and just write the show that he wanted. So that made him confident, you know, that I would be able to do that you know, on the scripts. So I came in as the writer of something that Bruce didn't think was going to work, but was there anyway. And that helped me get to the point of not taking it personally when this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I was... I was used to that in live-action television. I was used to that in things that I didn't feel I had any kind of real connection with. But Batman and comics were a little bit different for me. It was sort of like, you know, I'm the comics guy on the staff here, you know. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the writers that I brought in, like Denny O'Neill and Len Wein and Mike Barr and the uh, Crime Doctor, were comic book writers, specifically Batman writers. Yeah. Um, but Marv Wolfman and, and Len, actually, that was Len's first uh, the, sh- the sh- first show he did for me was his first script. But Marv had done a lot of uh, stuff in animation. Uh, so had Jerry Conway. But uh, I, I'm sorry, I, I have now finally managed to ramble to the point where I have forgotten the
1: original. <laughs> You're like, wait threshold. a minute, what were we I'm talking sorry. about? Uh, we were just talking about See No Evil and uh, the fact that I think you were saying Dan Reba convinced Bruce, like, oh, no, thank you. Yes. we can handle this. this- yeah, and, and
0: I, I really like the way it turned out. You know, cause it was, it, I was always pushing for interesting visuals because when you have something that, that is as reality-based as Batman, even with the fantastic villains, but they don't all have superpowers, right. you've got to make it more visually interesting. Um, Riddler is a perfect example of that because it's all intellectual puzzles. Mm-hmm. So it was David Wise who came up with the idea of using a maze in the first Riddler story as a way of externalizing the deduction beats of the thing. I mean, you know, figuring out the riddle. Right. I mean, we were stuck with Robin, which we didn't want to have to use anyway. But yeah, why didn't
1: it, you like Robin?
0: Um, it's, not, it, it's not that I didn't like Robin. It, it's that Bruce certainly didn't. And Alan Burnett felt that we would have to work hard to do a version of Robin that didn't evoke the worst of Burt Ward. Right. We were pretty confident that nobody was going to turn in the script with Robin going, "Holy whatever, Batman!" But still, that you know, the, the whole chum thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that whole strange relationship, which to Frederick Wortham's mind, homoerotic overtones, um, was a was a thing that was a curse.
1: So Fred. it was still hanging over
0: the staff at this. Point. Well, you know, Aunt Harriet on television was created right specifically because of Wertham's statement that Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson were a homosexual's wish fantasy. Those were his exact terms. Now, of course, it doesn't matter. But from the early 50s, when that idea was popularized all through the 70s and the 80s, that was still something that just sort of hung over it. Not a problem for us. We said, okay, we'll use the Robin from the period where he was going to Hudson University. There was a period in the comics when there was no Batcave, in fact. Um, Bruce Wayne and Batman were operating out of a high-rise apartment in Gotham City, and and Dick Grayson was off to college. He was in a dorm. What we wanted to do was the Nightwing character, but nobody at the network had ever heard of Nightwing. Oh. Ah. And... So, you know, that was one one case of Warner Brothers animation and DC being on one side and the, the network on the other. They wanted they wanted Robin. And I, as I recall, we sort of dragged our feet until finally, I think Robin's Reckoning was the first. A guy named Randy Rogel and Alan Burnett wrote that. I think that was the first one that he appeared, and I could be wrong. Or, or maybe there was one other episode, earlier episode. He shows we had up a, model.
1: a good amount, but he's not really, he's, he's kind of relegated. Robin's Reckoning feels like... Story about Robin.
0: Yes, yes, and that's why I misremember it. I think because Alan was talking about it as we got to do a real Robin story.
1: Yeah, and it's great. Yeah, that two parter is fantastic.
0: Well, I think they had some pretty good material to work with. Yeah. Because it was, it was as I recall, it borrowed heavily from some comic stories. So.
1: so in terms of this episode, you kind of described last time we were talking about how, how much detail you would or wouldn't go into for uh, action sequences. Mm-hmm. So I feel mm-hmm. like the action in this is very specific. Uh, and all of it's very fun. Like you know, right.
0: The climax of uh, Cineo
1: Yeah, the climax. Or even like the first fight when uh, Batman faces off with him. Uh, I think he's like in an alleyway and he's like kind of doused with some sort of mud or paint.
0: The shorter lengths for the scripts, which were always difficult for me, uh, for me that was more a matter of uh, figuring out how to be as terse as possible but not sparing in the details. So the See No Evil, the action stuff is pretty much boarded the way it was laid out in the script. Gotcha. And in fact, I think when Bruce would get frustrated with me sometimes, I think that's one of the reasons he was frustrated. He was frustrated on behalf of all of those board artists who wanted to invent things. But I would construct scripts that didn't permit that terribly mm-hmm. well. well. I and mean, in point of fact, whenever, not just me, but whenever we would have a script that turned on very specific staging of action, or even very specific camera movements, Uh, the board people would sometimes work at cross-purposes to the script, and if the story editor didn't look at the boards and catch it, it probably would go through. Mm -hmm. Uh, An example of that is in... um,
1: There's a Batman robot.
0: Right, and I think it's the first Batgirl show. Oh, Heart of
1: Steel. Is that what it's called? Heart of, there's a two parter called Heart of Steel where they're like every they robot replicants that kind right, of replace everybody. Right, that's the one everybody.
0: I'm referring to. Yeah, but it, it, which episode is not really germane to the point? It, but it was that there is a doppelganger,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the way the scene is set up is I think it's I think it's Batgirl. Do we have her in the series? Yeah, uh-huh. she was much younger. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, right. most of the play on that character came in the the new adventures. The, just the right, she shows are, up a few times. Time. That's what I thought. And is, if I'm remembering the, the show correctly, that was the first show we did with her. And in, she comes into the scene, and she sees Batman, and she divulges something to him that the doppelganger shouldn't know. And then the camera uh, pan, either pans back to the doorway or pulls back. I, but in any event, what is called for in the script is... The reveal that it's that she's been talking to a doppelganger not the real Batman who's like tied up or tied against the wall or something next to the door is the payoff in the scene. Well, the way it was boarded, the camera panned the layout over to Batman. And in other words, we knew before Batgirl entered yeah, the scene. Yeah, which
1: kills the reveal. Exactly.
0: Exactly. And there was... I mean, I'm telling this story because it didn't involve me. So I, because, I, you know, I can say there was an awful lot of diplomacy involved in getting that fixed and they managed to do it. Uh, Michael Reeves, the story editor, and, the, and Alan. But if it had been me, I probably wouldn't have lasted as long on the show. <laughs> because there would have been much yelling and screaming. I was a less temperate person back in those days. I think I've covered just about everything that was that's noteworthy in my memory about both of those shows.
1: Here's a question. Mask of the Phantasm. So, what was your experience writing on it? I've heard that, you know, it was kind of broken up and there were assignments for different parts of the story. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you break it together and then go off separately? Well,
0: all right. What what happened was Alan's deal coming in called for him during his first term to write a feature, a th- uh, an animated feature that would be for direct, direct-to-home video. Alan was... So, uh, you know, his time was so consumed by his job on the series that, you know, as we were starting to wind down, we were in like the last, I guess, the last five or six shows of The Order. He finally had the time to turn his attention to the feature, but discovered that they were absolutely adamant about having that in stores for Christmas, so suddenly he just didn't have the time to do the script himself. I won't say we broke the story together because he had the bare bones of what he wanted to do in his, in his mind. But how to do it? Uh, there was a character, I think called the Scythe in, in, the, in the DC Comics that that Mike Barr had created that looked very much like the Phantasm character. And so we would sit there and say, "All right, how do we... Tweak it so that it doesn't look like that, and we don't have problems with DC. And Bruce came up with the model that was sufficiently different. What was Andrea Beaumont's relationship with the Gotham underworld? What was her, what what were the details of the backstory? These were the kinds we just sort of, you know, we would get together maybe for forty-five minutes to an hour once once every few days, and Alan would nod and say thank you, and then he wrote an outline. Okay. And it was at that point that any illusion that he'd be able, he'd have the time to do it sort of fell by the wayside. So that was the point at which he said, okay, I'm five, six pages into the teleplay, and we were still thinking of it as a, the screenplay. We were still thinking of it at that point, of course, as a, a director on video. And he said, why don't I just write the first act? And then we divvied it, divvied it up from there. And Marty, you'll take act two with the flashback stuff. Uh, Michael Reeves d- did the next sequence and then the, the climax with all the Joker stuff was Paul because, of course, Paul had dibs on the Joker, as I, mm-hmm. as I said last time we talked. Um, and that's how we, that's how we did it. Uh, and since we were all there in the office coordinating with each other so that there was a flow was not a, was not a problem at so all.
1: So you all kind of knew the general flow of the story. so it wasn't Well, we
0: had a very detailed outline to work from, but, we, but how the scenes were treated was left very much to the writer. For example, there's a scene where, after he meets Andrea and decides that he is in love with her, uh, in the outline was Bruce was going back to the gravesite when he meets Andrea in the cemetery. What he was going back to the gravesite for, Alan didn't elaborate on. And I pitched, literally on paper, because the first time he saw it was when he saw it, is that... He was going back to talk to his parents at the grave and ask them to release him from his vow to rid Gotham. Of, it's one of the most
1: of, powerful things in the movie.
0: One, Probably something I'm proudest of more than anything else I've done in animation.
1: Yeah. And the performance that Conrad oh, gives for that Kevin was, is... Oh,
0: Kevin was golden. Always was. I mean, he's true. But
1: like, it's like him, Like you gave him that material to just really dig into.
0: Well, see, that, that goes back to something I think I, I alluded to earlier, which is that you know, when they would sign up for cartoon gigs, it, it's very common now, but it wasn't back then. A voice artist just expected pablum, and when they got something that they thought, "Oh, I can really sink my teeth into this as an actor," they were grateful for it, and they delivered the goods. And I was, and, and that was Kevin in all two hundred some odd episodes that he did. And I understand he's back as the voice now after having. Yeah, he's
1: doing so many different versions. I know he's on Justice League Action. That the no, yeah that I know that I know joke yeah. and
0: yeah well that's good that's good because uh, the Arkham games <laughs> I hope that for his sake that the reason that he left originally was because he was you know too busy doing better stuff that had sprung from Batman but yeah I'm glad to hear that he's back doing the voice um, but that as for that scene that you're referring to the grave you know I, I I didn't see this coming I didn't plan on being happy I remember I I wrote that in about about half an hour, rewrote it. And then I said, I just don't want to turn this into the, turn this in with the rest of the pages. I don't know how he's going to react. And I brought it in and he read it and he said, that's, that's great. And it was the only thing that I wrote for the show. It's the only thing I wrote that nobody touched. (laughs) Nobody, or nobody wanted to touch. So I was very, very pleased with that. Um, to me the most gratifying thing about the feature the, the review we got from Siskel and Ebert and the one we got from Leonard Maltin in mm-hmm. his book and both of them said that the, you know it was better dialogue than it had appeared in any of the feature films and, and Siskel and Ebert thought it was a better the best Batman film of the four that had been out at that point the previous three. Oh yeah yeah and of course you know, you know Christopher Nolan kicked that in the teeth
1: <laughs> but, different <laughs> it, films was, different style <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean to say that I I think Batman Begins is probably the best version of that character on film that I've seen I think
1: you love Begins
0: I really do all of the human stuff all all the stuff between Bruce and Alfred I just think it's beautifully written and marvelously acted Mm I really do um, and there's just there's a lot of humanity. In
1: Let me ask you this uh, one more question. What what about your experience writing? <laughs> one more question. <laughs> one more question. <laughs> I blathered on that much, huh? I think, uh, No, I, these are my prepared questions. Oh, oh okay. But uh, you wrote for Batman Adventures. There were a couple issues, which was an animated series spin-off comic, and obviously you have a history in writing comics as well. But what was it like to write stories for? the comic book version of the animated series. I don't know if you...
0: Well, there's not not
1: really, to
0: my mind, that much different. I mean, film is basically... Or rather, I should say, comics are are film in jump cuts, you know? And writing a comic book and writing an animation script are really not all that different uh, in terms of, you know, how you construct scenes or stories. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the only the only real difference is you're writing in still images, and you have to be able to write shot descriptions that work. Um, the only thing that was different for me was I got a chance to handle the scarecrow character, which I I didn't do. And I could have done more of those. Uh, Scott liked the stuff that I did, but I couldn't even really finish the first one. The second part of that had to be uh, taken over from my outline by uh, another writer. Because, uh, Kelly Puckett, by the way, terrific writer, for the same reason that Alan couldn't, couldn't write Mask of the Phantasm all by himself. We were just too busy. Things got a little less hectic after we were about two or three months in. But those first couple of months where we were trying to get out from you know under, because uh, we were so f- far behind schedule, which was the period in which I did the comic, it was foolish of me to even... Uh, <laughs> And I instigated it I called up Scott and said, I'd love to write this Yes, exactly Yeah Yeah. Well, (laughs) later on When I was an editor at DC Scott worked for me The roles were reversed But he never let me Let that down (laughs) I bailed on it I felt so bad about it
1: Well, is there anything else You want to share From working on the series Or in general
0: I had no idea When I started on it That I would be sitting In a room Talking about it Some years later (laughs) Uh Really, if there's going to be any real gratification from writing animation, because God knows it's not in the residuals because there aren't any, um, it's that you've contributed to something in however small a way that people are still watching and talking about a long time later. It stood the test of time. And I'm lucky enough that that's true of a couple of things that I've done, although some of the other things um, are much more uh, culty in the sense that people have to they're not actively being promoted and people have to actively seek them out on DVD. It was probably the best animation gig I ever had and uh, wouldn't have seen my name on uh, a wide screen otherwise. So, yeah, it was a very a very special time. Forgive that very egocentric answer.
1: Hey, this is about you. This is an interview with you. Well, <laughs>
0: yeah, but I, what, what, well, what I'm saying is what I... The only way I can answer that question is just talking in terms of how personally gratifying in addition to being, you know, professionally rewarding the experience was.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about it. Thank you for having me. It's
0: been a great pleasure.
1: Today's fan, Andrew Grissom.
2: I feel fine, I feel safer just talking about Batman Oh,
1: definitely safer Uh, Especially this
2: Batman, because this Batman He's got quips, he's got punches He's got some humility, he gets beat up a little bit He gets beat up a lot, actually
1: Yes, he He does get beat up a lot I mean, But he's fighting an invisible man
2: Yes, he's fighting a a poisoned uh, Slowly, their mind being corrupted Invisible man Uh, He gets left in cement He gets thrown through the ringer He makes me feel safe He's great
1: that voice you're hearing is Andrew Grissom.
2: Hi. We just watched this episode, so we, we have it fresh in our brain. Minutes ago, I took a bathroom break, and then I put these keys nearby. Oh, good. You
1: had to make the noise just so people <laughs> knew that there were keys Well, we're being needed. honest.
2: Yeah, we're talking you're about right. you tripping. I want people to know my keys are near the microphone. My phone is right next to the microphone, but it's on silent. I'm very confident that the uh, airplane mode is going to work. This is all valid stuff people want to hear on the podcast. (laughs) While they're driving or pooping, they want to know where my keys are. Do you listen to podcasts pooping? I assume most people do. Man, I... Is that that a fun non-answer where I don't confirm or deny?
1: I mean, I I think it kind of... If you assume most people do, then that means that you probably do or you feel left out from doing it. Maybe. What do you think
2: the top does at the end of Inception?
1: Oh, I think it falls into a toilet and then you listen to a podcast while you're pooping on top of it
2: Uh, Not for me to decide
1: Alright, See No Evil is an episode (laughs) that you specifically singled out Like you were like, can I talk about See No Evil?
2: Yeah, in Small Talk a few years ago you went, oh I'm going to start this podcast And I immediately went, I love See No Evil, I love it I haven't watched it since I was a child, I love it so much Please, if you ever get a chance to have an episode about it, I would love to talk about it. And here we are. And here we are, doing it.
1: Dreams come true. Yes. Not everything is a waking nightmare right now.
2: No. (laughs) This is a... I mean, I would love to spend some time in Gotham, even though it's very full of crime. This Gotham is fun. It looks like it opens on a Halloween night, nice and windy and autumnal.
1: It is really spooky. Uh, I love that you kind of are in the perspective of... uh, ventress or ventrix or it's
2: a trick in the beginning you think it's just oh it's some nice sly camera movement it looks great the dog is barking at camera yeah it's because he's in front of camera he's he i assume makes some sort of scuffle with his foot then the dog looks at you barks it's scary as a viewer a lot of the things i remember as a child watching this episode that made it stand out to me was i was watching it and i would think oh there's not much batman but i kind of care a lot about this divorced sad father yeah absolutely
1: uh, I guess I... Well, I had a little... I had more sympathy for the parent and the child.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. As it went on. As you learn more. But just... I remember thinking as a as a kid, wow, this is crazy. They're tackling this, sort of, for a kid's thing. They're using big words like refracted light. And restraining
1: orders and restraining are being brought orders. up in an animated show for kids. Yes. I feel like this is me saying the same thing I always say, but... It's crazy that that's what it's about, that they talk about an actual restraining order in a Saturday morning cartoon.
2: Yes. It's uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that they do that.
1: I love the title card, too. We didn't talk about that. Love that font.
2: Yes, love that font. Love the spookiness. It looks like sort of a phantom is coming in, Phantomy robes, like in, uh, what's it called? Who's the Scroogey... Oh, in Christmas, a Christmas Carol. Carol? It's called A Christmas Marley? Carol. Very famous. No, the third ghost. Oh,
1: Ghost of Christmas robes. Future. That's what I think. But old spooky robes is what he goes by colloquially. Old your spooky robes.
2: And then I want to say in the back of my mind, I could easily pull it up. but That's a lot of work. That's a lot of typing. In the beginning, it looks sort of like there might be a shadow of a man. Maybe he's like the, the public safety crime watch guy where he's like the, the shadow man in a trench coat. I also just might be like a thing where I just see that.
1: You're making a vampire pose right now, like a uh, vampire in a coffin. Well, it's you're like if you have a trench coat, of you. You,
2: you hold the trench coat close to keep yourself warm. Because you, you it's such a nice coat, too. You don't want nobody uh, to I steal it. That. Oh, I don't that.
1: Oh, the neighborhood watch sign. Yeah, like, I feel like where looks looks like a, a criminal.
2: Yes. Ooh. And this guy is a criminal. There, but again, are. I could look this up. You could look at this while you're pooping and listening, and I, there might not even be anything there. That's just what I see. <laughs> <laughs> Man,
1: this feels like a Twilight Zone episode to me too. Yes, uh, the title card also is like reminiscent of like that kind of weird story. It just happens to have Batman in it because uh, it's like family melodrama with an invisibility suit.
2: One thing that I was always a sucker for, and still am, never will go away, is floating things. Uh, yeah, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Hi, you're a cat. Yes, How are you? we have
1: a cat here as well.
2: Hello. Uh, anything floating? Any practical thing? And so the way they sort of animate it. It feels as if it's a special effect, and I like that. I Mm -hmm. like it. You get a a goofy floating head, which is nice.
1: Dan Reba directed this one. He's an excellent director for the show. He's done an episode or two for this podcast. But yeah, he's really... It felt technically very proficient.
2: There's a lot of really... I don't even know if... I I would call them subtle, but I don't know if they are or not. But just a lot of details that are neat. Such as putting on the costume, uh, the the invisibility cloak, and you can see sort of folds in the face when it's over him. And also even just when he puts the necklace on the girl, he fluffs her hair out in a way that you would, if you're like, oh, I care about my daughter, I'm going to fluff her hair out a little bit and put this stolen piece of jewelry on her.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that was more difficult because there were no hands there, or it was just, just the same for the animator, but... You know, they just had to imagine
2: it. I don't know. Everyone that worked on this is dead, so we'll that never know. That is not know. true.
1: That is not true, based on what
2: the show, uh, my podcast, is. <laughs> uh, everyone. now we'll never know. But yeah, it's, uh, every episode has that, because there's really neat animation and everything. Obviously, it's, uh, it's an understatement, because this is a, a beloved thing to watch for everyone. But hi. Hi, cat. I don't even uh, know if he can be heard at this point. Oh. I should probably stop talking to this cat. <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah. Well, you're like uh, the little girl talking to Mojo. Uh,
2: yes. We'll liken it to that. Which, when you're, uh, when I when I watched it, I remember thinking, "Oh, is this going to be about a haunted doll?" And then you immediately go, "Oh, there's more to a doll. She's looking at an invisible thing."
1: I love how creepy it is, though. Like Mojo is the best worst name for like a haunted doll or
2: and an invisible thing. There's a movie I just found out about called Bogus with uh, Eddie. Not Eddie, no. She was in the movie Eddie, Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) Uh Uh, And Haley Jo Osment, where he has an invisible friend played by John Depardieu. However you say that. I don't do French. John Depardieu Mojo. John Depardieu Mojo. But it's pretty much, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's here's a little boy. He's got a big old magical friend. And so that was fresh on my mind. This movie I have never seen that I don't know if anyone has seen it. But just, yeah, a, a child having an adult-size imaginary friend, not a magical imaginary friend, but just anything where it's, oh, I'm just picturing a giant man. That's my best friend. That's also kind of weird. Oh, yeah. Real eerie. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> what's happened? That She looked like a Disney character, right? The daughter looked like big-eyed Disney classic. Yeah. <laughs>
2: There's some fun character designs in this. The uh, one of the hobos looks like Alan Moore to me a little bit. Hmm. I think this is again, I much like the security watch. Who knows what's going on? But uh, the the security, not the security guard, the lab technician sort of reminded me of Stan Lee and sounds like him a little bit. Yes,
1: I the could, one that Batman initially suspects is behind the Invisible Man, who
2: suit. one of many people to foil Batman in this episode by pushing a a, a shelf full of breakable valuable scientific <laughs> of his own stuff. Yes. And he doesn't reprimand him in, well because he can't because he's Batman.
1: But he kind of immediately is like oh it's just you. Well you know why don't I give you a demonstration of how this works.
2: <laughs> Everyone in this episode is very uh, casual with Batman. The mom there's a it sort of is a weird shot but I like it when he's talking to her he's like oh so here's what Mojo oh he doesn't say here's what Mojo he goes oh so you've got to be careful with this suit It has poison. And then it cuts to a wide and it looks like they're doing a slow dance where his hands are on her shoulders very firmly and she is grabbing his waist underneath his cape a little. So they're very close. It's Wait, a, what? She's grabbing his waist? I think so. It looks like her hands are, are just on his waist and they're doing a, a, a gender reverse traditional uh, just slow high school dance. Man, but while I, just, I missed that. <laughs> so that's fun. So she's very, very comfortable with Batman. And Batman's not even popping pop up in a normal way. He's just in her front yard by her creaky gate and untidy lawn. Ooh, yeah. Well, it
1: looks like a pretty bad area. She's doing her best. She's single mom in it. Yeah.
2: One thing that I wish had happened that I had forgotten about the hobos, and once they came up, I was like, oh, maybe this will happen. I thought there was going to be a gag where you see a drunk hobo look at an invisible thing float by. And then they pour out their alcohol and look at it and sort of shake their head and go in a way of like, oh, I better stop drinking. Cause when you drink, you see, you everyone knows. I feel like that, that is a
1: classic hobo
2: in a cartoon gag. Yes. Alcohol famously makes you hallucinate things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> immediately <laughs> it's well if the... you've got a jug of it and it's got three X's on it then definitely you're hallucinating oh
2: yeah it'll be yeah you're gonna go to other places we did get that construction worker who like in that
1: first fight when Batman comes out is like where are you and there's a guy eating a sandwich and he's just like kinda looks around like uh. Again, at a perfect crazy? moment. He
2: could have pulled out a jug of moonshine and poured it out while his mouth was full of sandwich. And you're always
1: looking for that moonshine. You call them moonshine moments.
2: Well, when you say a jug with X's on it, I know you know that's moonshine. Yeah. That's not like a cognac or a uh, white wine spritzer.
1: No, I, I my white wine spritzers have three <laughs> X's on them. Uh, let, let's go back for a sec. Let, oh, yeah, we're jumping that, all around. Well, it doesn't really matter. We... Bruce Wayne had a watch stolen from him That was like the initial impetus Is This invisible man decides to Go out in the open and steal things
2: Rather than do it Under the pretense Well as we know his mind is being poisoned You think that was
1: their justification? I I
2: think he's cocky I think he's a cocky criminal Mm -hmm. Also that daughter's moving away in a day He's gotta move fast His mind's being poisoned, so he's really got to get out there fast. And he knows he's not going to get caught. There's that one security guard whose only job is keep the men's bathroom open. Oh, poor guy. And they put a lock on the inside. And so all he wants to do is let people use the bathroom that's shared. I don't know why they have a lock on it. And, you know, door slammed on him.
1: I thought there were a lot of funny, act, legit funny moments yes. in this. Like, the construction worker thing or Batman changing, slamming the
2: door right on a security guard. Thankfully, nothing funny with uh, the the criminal as Mojo, because that would be weird. I don't want to really want to see a comedy moment between a creepy, invisible man and a little girl.
1: No, especially when it's played by Michael Gross from Family Ties. Yes. Of oh. course. Also, when Bruce Wayne had his watch stolen, he said, What the devil?! That felt great. like such a classic, we can't say anything more than that.
2: Well, also the security guards say, oh no, my piece is missing. Which is, uh, I don't know if you can't say gun. I feel That's the thing, I, I feel I like... They can say gun, that to me felt like a stylistic choice. Okay. Um, I like that. Because this is one of those cartoons where they would get to say, I'm going to kill you. They don't have to go, I'm going to end you, I'm going to exterminate you. They can go, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to shoot you with bullets. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think they they got away with a lot of stuff like that.
2: Yeah, they didn't have to dance around it. I
1: think, if anything, they danced around saying the word God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, oh my God couldn't be said, but oh my
2: heaven. And oh my what the devil. Oh my what the devil. (laughs) Yeah, you can say devil, but you can't say God. I also, I like this Bruce Wayne a lot because he's... As a character, Bruce this Bruce Wayne is very separate because he just feels like a very nice billionaire. He's a smarmy airhead. It's like, you know what? I want to buy a handsome watch. What a great day. I
1: want to buy the most 1980s watch I can find. <laughs> Which is
2: fun that he's putting on that character of Bruce Wayne. When and Also, when he goes to become Batman, he's, I think he smiles a little bit. He gets a big grin where he's, again, who knows? This is all very fact-checkable, any of my bold claims, but I think he gets a little devilish grin. Because he's excited, he wants to get this watch. He's excited to get in there, to change into his costume, to hit a security guard with. a Well, he door.
1: likes being Batman more than he likes being Bruce Wayne. Yeah, you know.
2: Uh, wh- I also like that uh, one of the one of the times he fails, gets really beat up and dumped in cement.
1: Yeah. Gets dumped in cement. He's got paint on him. He threw paint on somebody. There's yeah. water. He's getting covered in all of it.
2: It has a it has a power. The suit has a power that is never really explored again. It has <laughs> no, a, it, it happens has, once. It has a super heating power, and I forgot what's the pun.
1: Uh, well, he said you were better off blowing smoke. I'm more of a burnout case.
2: Yes, after a smoke bomb was was thrown, and he's coughing.
1: Right, because he was you know giving these finding. The outline of the Invisible yeah. Man, although I don't know if smoke would do that. With, I guess would it wrap around him in a way? If
2: with light refraction,
1: yeah. But uh, <laughs> then he basically he he threw paint on Batman threw paint on him, and then he pressed a button and he it sizzled off.
2: So somehow they can boil paint, which is impressive, and this is never really described later as a power. But it's cool, but you'd think also maybe he could have some fiery punches at Batman. Yeah, maybe like when he's like tackling him or something later on in the episode. I also think it's foolish of Wayne Tech, of Batman not to take advantage of this, because he doesn't have to wear it, but he could coat everything he owns in it, uh, like vehicles and stuff, be further stealthy. Yeah. So it's a shame that it never comes back.
1: Well, it's pretty toxic. Pretty toxic. You don't want the Batmobile to die.
2: No. And I guess it has an onboard computer. (laughs) And Alfred has to wash it by hand. Yeah, well. And spit. Alfred, that's part
1: of your job. I like to lick the Batmobile clean,
2: sir. Yes. Very good, Alfred. Yeah,
1: thank you. It was accurate. Very accurate. Sounds exactly like Ephraim Zimbalus Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, Batman meets him, and then we go back, and uh, he talks to the mom. Mm Hmm. But uh, father. Oh, yeah. The father Ventrix kind of confronts the mom in the grocery store. Yes, at Gothmart. Gothmart. Love the name. Love Gothmart. Also, I love the angles. Even on her, like check. You know, like clocking out. Like the angles, the very high angle of the grocery store. Like it feels very. I don't know. This felt like a very Hitchcock inspired. Yeah. Direction.
2: I also like, as a character, that she's not scared of him. She's just more really pissed that he's around Mm -hmm. and really wants him to go away. Won't accept his money for... She's got to stand strong. She's great. He buys her a big red cola that isn't Coke. Come on, babe, look at me. Get it?
1: Look (laughs) at me. Because you won't be able to see me later. That's true.
2: You couldn't use any other words in that sentence. How
1: many all-night gas stations did you need a knockout for
2: that, she said. And he could have said, none. I stole watches. (laughs) Yeah. In the daytime. Oops, did I say that out loud, honey? I do my crimes at day now. For you. And then Batman did some detective work. That was fun. That's fun. He's. It's always sort of weird to me when he does detective work at a, at a business that he owns. Right. Because he knows it. And also, he probably could have walked around there later that day. He could have walked straight over there.
1: Yeah, but, you know, let's be honest. Mr. Wayne, why are you looking
2: in uh, the... Light cabinet. I own Because
1: let's all of the folders say light on them.
2: I own it. I own this company.
1: Okay. Do you want to be fired? Nah, but they're going to track him down. That's true. I see the logic. I like the idea that Batman's breaking into Bruce
2: Wayne's own company. Well, also, we want to see the cowl. And that, I guess that, that uh, holds up the mythos that Batman... Maybe he's not the, the perfect vigilante. He even goes after kind Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. And
1: he puts a flashlight in his mouth. Let's not forget oh, he puts a mini flashlight in his mouth. Batlight excuse me bat light in his mouth um
2: have you ever done that to look for something
1: no i've never put it in my mouth
2: i feel like any situation you would need to do that it would probably involve looking under a car or camping Uh uh-huh my argument against that is you're already in a filthy area so you've just handled a flashlight and you're going to shove that in your mouth
1: yeah honestly i can't believe batman put
2: that thing in his mouth I know. Unless he already has those special gloves that can turn invisible and can burn the germs off.
1: But it's toxic, so it's creating more problem so he's putting that toxic stuff in his mouth
2: he is a crazy man that dresses like a bat okay i
1: think i think we figured out why batman is so obsessive and it's because he was wearing the invisibility fabric the entire time he has a broken
2: invisibility suit uh, well work. he does you know let's
1: uh, let's take this a step farther to a world where nobody who created the show really thinks about it but uh, batman beyond which mm-hmm. i assume you've seen
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he's got an invisibility function on his suit that is pretty similar to this,
2: but he never says any invisibility puns. I can boldly claim right now: yes, young Terry McGinnis never makes. And Terry a McGinnis single... says
1: a lot of other stupid. Oh, stuff Oh, he's
2: quite quippy. He's a yeah. quippy. He's a quippy youngster. Although he would be what born now? Yeah, <laughs> he's very shway though. <laughs> he would be born. I, I don't know what year that takes place in. But um, uh, I
1: think uh, it actually takes place like eighty years in the future.
2: Oh Okay, whenever. so he's he'd be like my grandchild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: I think Terry McGinnis is your grandchild. Mm. Uh,
2: So Batman puts a flashlight
1: in his mouth. (laughs) That was a huge thing for me. Uh, Well, because
2: Batman rarely puts anything in his mouth. Right. We never see Batman putting stuff in his mouth. And we're always
1: clamoring for it.
2: Yes. Children love Batman eating things. I had written... Here's the thing I wrote down. Nice how the substance is self-destructive to anyone who uses it. Like the Ice King's crown in Adventure Time, great power makes you crazy. Hmm. Also, maybe a Lord of the Rings thing. I have no commentary on this other than listing very popular things. Where
1: well, it's true. It's it's you're being punished for like you know it's hubris.
2: <laughs> but I like that he. Or
1: I guess that's excessive. Pride. I
2: assume initially he's already the the criminal. He's a scum. He's not a great guy. But he also has a daughter. He wants to see her. Restraining order can't. I totally get. He happened to be a cleanup He had. He was an errand boy. He heard about an invisibility fabric suit. Made a suit, or got a suit, whatever, however it worked. And all he wants to do, hang out with his daughter as an imaginary ghost. We don't know how long he's been doing it. It could have been going on a while. The mom clearly has heard of Mojo, so knows of this imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. But because it's a self-destructive thing, because he's breaking the law, doing things, it's making him go crazy. So I like, that's very sad to me, how, oh, I want to do this good thing. Oh, but I got to break the law a little bit. Oh, it's going to damage my mind forever. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I like uh, I like I like the, the, the whole problem.
1: Well, uh, yeah, and it is like a sacrifice for his daughter, which makes him more sympathetic, even if he's a creep.
2: Yeah, and also where we're seeing him, he might. Yeah, I mean, he uh, based on everyone's reaction around him, and he he has an evil face. Oh, they yeah,
1: he's got. A, you, I wrote that down. He has an evil face.
2: I don't remember his face being that evil because I think I just remember feeling kind of bad for him, and now I realize oh he's a he looks like he looks like what's on the inside yeah he might be sad but he he's one of those types of sad where he doesn't know that he's bad
1: yeah he's he's a real dorian gray painting hidden in an attic <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: the aging evil version of yeah it. but not full dorian gray like no two years maybe a rat got up in that attic yeah i think it's two years of dorian gray for sure maybe that rat got in an attic listen to a podcast <laughs> took a poop on it <laughs> so we also have like all the cool action stuff Yes. car chase. I forgot about a car chase in an abandoned drive-in, which is great. It's awesome. There's tire tracks everywhere. There's big old-timey speakers everywhere. I didn't pause it to see what the movie... I assume there was some sort of in-joke for the movie that was playing on the Mm -hmm. marquee. It's also right across the street from their house. That means, I assume, let's say she was a little kid. He probably was like a cool dad. Climbed up in a tree with her because he's a poor criminal. Probably
1: was a cool dad.
2: Probably like hooked something up and went... (laughs) Okay, I'm home. It's the one time of the month where I'm home because I'm a scum. We're going I'm gonna give you a nice memory. We're gonna sneak. We're gonna watch a, a movie. We'll watch. Uh, I don't know what movie is Zorro. I know Zorro exists in Batman universe. Mm-hmm. We're gonna watch Zorro Seven. Uh, the Wrath of Zorro. The Wrath of Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a sweet moment that she might treasure in her in her back of her mind. But meanwhile, the mom's like, I wish if you just got a job you could afford. You could afford Sorry,
1: that. I can't hear you over this invisibility <laughs> suit I'm thinking about stealing after you already get a restraining order on me.
2: It's like, oh boy. Better better get these Gotham judges to work fast. <sighs> Yeesh. Ooh. So yeah, we got all we got a wonderful fight, a lot of fight scenes, a lot of good punches Yeah, thrown. there's a lot of good action. It's really boarded well too. A lot of good Kevin Conroy grunting. Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of oomphs and uh. A lot of good Kevin Conroy punting. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> At the end, the Batman's badass
2: line is peekaboo. <laughs> Which is the best. I want no one to ever say that and punch me. No. It's also kind of a weak pun, but I get it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not even a pun. It's just a reference to the fact that he can, like, I see you. Yes. He was not hiding prior. No. <laughs> it's uh, a
2: reverse peekaboo. But he does, well, he turns on when well, he gets the sprinklers going. He gets the sprinklers by cutting open a water tank with his ninja stars. Yes, yes. Which this is a. a, I don't know if this happens to anyone else. Whenever you have like a memory as a kid, that they sort of bleed together. To separate memories. Yeah. This episode, that scene, I always get mixed up. There's an episode of Spider-Man, one of the Spider-Man cartoons where he fights a man made of water. hmm Hydro-Man. Also, yes. On top of a building with a water tank. Oh, man. I remember that. And those, these fight scenes have always been interchangeable in my mind a little bit. We got to do a super cut. <laughs> yeah. We. Or anyone. Anyone, uh, please. Hey,
1: anybody out there want to cut together the Hydro-Man fight sequence from the... Second season of Spider-Man, I think, and, uh... Or anything.
2: Uh, Use the episode where Spider-Man grows all those human arms. I'd like that. Or when he sees that future Spider-Woman. Let's be honest, Madam Web. Oh, yeah. Put Madam Web in an episode with Mr. Freeze. For me. The world is hungry for it, and by world, I mean Andrew. And you can do the voices, whoever you are. Well, I hope you like getting paid nothing. (laughs) No, I'll pay. I'll Venmo you $1,000. Wow, that's actually uh, worthwhile endeavor. I assume it's going to take them like seven months. I'm not paying them well.
1: Yeah, well, that's, uh, they, you, you don't know.
2: Somebody might be like an animation entrepreneur. I want them to, get, to log the hours, and I want to make sure it takes them seven months. Okay, well, then in that case, yeah, you're being pretty shitty to them. But they're getting $1,000.
1: You realize you just said I'm not going to pay them well. Yeah. Well, I'm it's not up to you man. guys, Madam Web and Mr. Freeze <laughs> team up.
2: If you want to animate that, send it to Andrew.
1: He'll Venmo you.
2: Yeah, send it to me. Just guess a bunch of email addresses. You'll
1: find it. I think it's grissomimpossible at gmail.com.
2: Yeah, but now you might have to buy that <laughs> from whoever Grissom Impossible is. <laughs> I'm trying to think what other notes I got. Oh, fun to see a floating head. Yeah. Always fun to see a floating head in the air. I agree. That's good. Um. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the episode? I mean, I'm always happy to watch it, yeah. I, but I don't watch it all the time because I don't want to. I, I I got a life. I can't watch. Spend 22 minutes of every day watching one of my favorite episodes of a TV show. No, but I do have a final thought. Yeah, it's a little scattered and unrelated. Um, one of this is one of the first things I sort of remember thinking about critically as a cartoon, instead of just going, "Ah, Street Sharks, they blew some stuff up." I would go, "Wow, that's interesting. There's a lot of ideas at play in this." Uh, my other Batman, main Batman memory, is the the Lazarus Pit. Ra's al Ghul being dumped into it and coming back and laughing maniacally and sort of looking like a zombie. Mm-hmm. That scared me so much. I walked outside of uh, my the house that I grew up in just because it creeped me out. I was like, I need to see some sunlight. But this was also at 11 a.m. and it was being broadcast. And so then I just happened, I was outside petting a dog in the backyard and I looked through the window... And then it came back, and when it comes back to the commercial, he's still laughing. Ah! And so, <laughs> without hearing him, just seeing it, I was like, I can't escape this. I'm going to come back to this. That's a horror movie, right there. I also, as a child, was very scared of an Indiana Jones all the Nazis melting. So, they look similar to me. So, we know how to really blackmail you. Yeah, with all these uh, childhood memories that bleed together with scenes. <laughs> Where I can't uh, differentiate between Nazis melting in a Lazar spit, and I mix up Spider-Man fight scenes with Batman fight scenes. Well,
1: if ever there was a final thought,
2: that's it. Hey, anything else? No, but I hope uh, if anyone has been pooping this whole time, that they finished long ago, or they're gonna get like sleepy legs. Oof, sleepy legs and dirty butt.
1: Oh. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what thanks what great for final on thought. The podcast man.
2: Hey, anytime.
1: Well, there you go another batman the animated podcast tucks itself into bed and goes into eternal podcast nighty night if you liked what you heard you can find more on itunes subscribe rate leave a comment do all those internet things uh you can also find us on spotify and stitcher you can find show updates at btas podcast on twitter and my life updates at Hey Justin, where I am currently going insane now that we live in this post election world. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trila helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the booming voice of this podcast. Thank you so much to Jonathan Callen for putting me in touch with Marty Pasco. for Marty Pasco for doing the interview, and Andrew Grissom for talking about See No Evil. Special thanks to This American Life producer and co-founder, Tori Malatia, who, I don't know if you know this, helps me do everything with this podcast. You know, he's just not busy enough, so he's like, why don't I fly to another coast? Why don't I go hang out with Justin? You know, instead of just doing the podcast with him, I'm gonna treat him like a small child. I'm gonna say, Peekaboo. Well, peekaboo to you too, Tori. Peekaboo to you too. Alright, guys, until the next time.